Hi, welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast, where I, Pa Vu, will share my experience as a first-generation PhD student. So, you're going to be a doctor, my auntie said. Yes, I answered hesitantly, but not a medical doctor, an educational doctor. I will learn stuff and teach stuff to other people. My auntie looked thoughtful for a few seconds. She nodded and looked back at me. But you're still going to be a doctor. Uh, yeah, I said, but I couldn't help but think that this conversation had gone right over her head. And it was the same feeling I got when I told my parents and my other aunties and uncles and my neighbors and so on and so forth about my decision to go to grad school. Many of them had barely completed a middle school education. So this educational doctor thing was new to my parents' generation. Heck, it was new to me, and I could tell it was going to take some getting used to. I was 23 years old, and I was going to grad school. Not just any grad program either, I was going into a PhD program. I was going to be more educated than anyone in my immediate family, and more educated than 97% of the Hmong population in the United States. But I don't think I understood the enormity of that and the blessings and curses it brought with it until much later. My boyfriend at the time was living in Riverside, and he flew up to Chico to help me drive down to Santa Barbara. I was the first bird to leave the nest, and I'm pretty sure my parents didn't hear the end of it for letting me go. I was a girl after all, and what reason did a girl have to go to school so far away from home? Why couldn't I have just gone to a local school? And didn't I just graduate? Why do I need another degree? Nearly eight hours and 480 miles later, we arrived in Santa Barbara, the gateway to the ocean. At least that's the way I saw it. I had two thoughts. First, I had never felt so small in my life. The ocean has been around for hundreds of thousands of years. And me? 23 years. In the timeline of existence, I was smaller than a dust particle. Second, what the heck did I get myself into? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't belong here. These statements haunted me throughout my entire time in grad school. On the first day of class, I couldn't decide whether to take my backpack or tote bag. What will the other students be taking? And more importantly, what would make me look more like a graduate student? I went with a tote bag. In class, the professor had us introduce ourselves. I found myself marveling at my classmates. Several local teachers... A few professionals from the university, students from UC Berkeley and UC Irvine and the East Coast. They wanted to study how students learned math and science in the classroom, women and sexual activity in college, how socioeconomic status affects student grades, and really fancy stuff like that. Then there was me who had just graduated and didn't really know what I wanted to study. I think I went home that night and cried. I could smell the ocean breeze from my balcony. The beach was a 10-minute walk from graduate housing. Undergraduate dorms were even closer. Sometimes I wonder how anyone got their work done in a place like this. On days when I had no classes, I walked through the Barnes & Noble in downtown Santa Barbara because it felt like the one in Chico. I sat in coffee shops and pretended to read the 20 chapters assigned for the week while I watched tourists with their maps and cameras. Then I watched rich folks with their polos and overpriced sunglasses eating breakfast in restaurants I didn't dare enter. Sometimes I found myself strolling on State Street, window shopping, taking in the sun, 
admiring the Spanish architecture that made Santa Barbara such a beautiful city, and listening to German and French and Chinese all within the same block. Both the university and the city seemed to crawl through time. Students wore flip-flops year-round, and on any day you can find some of them beachside. Except for the baristas and waiters, nobody seemed to be working. It was the kind of life I had always longed for. Then why did I feel so empty? In the evenings, I cooked mong dishes that I hoped would soothe my restless soul. But they wouldn't come out right. Not like mom's. And I didn't dare to try and make any of dad's dishes because no one cooked like dad. One Saturday, a few months into grad school, I discovered the local farmer's market. This I was familiar with. My parents had farmed all their lives. Chico, where I was from, was well known for its farmer's markets. I immersed myself in each stall, taking in the scents of fresh fruits and vegetables, listening to the farmers talk excitedly about their harvest. It was during one of these moments that I thought I caught a familiar cadence, tones that only another Hmong person could make. I looked around and quickly spot the older woman in the stall across the way. Her black hair was pulled back into a bun, and she wore a sun hat and a floral blouse. I hadn't spoken Hmong in months, at least not to a person standing right in front of me. What if my throat didn't work? What if it came out weird? Are you Hmong? I asked desperately, waiting for either recognition or repugnance. It was a 50-50 chance. Yes, the woman answered. Are you going to school here, my dear? I said that I was and silently jumped for joy. I didn't want the conversation to end, so I searched desperately for a question to ask. Where are you from? I don't know if it was because of my excitement or because I just didn't recognize the name of the town, but I can't recall what she said. Our conversation was short, and not because she shooed me off, but because we were strangers, and I wasn't a very good conversationalist at that time. I left her stall with gifts, a bag of green beans and lemongrass. Maybe she felt sorry for me. Maybe she saw the desperate longing in my face. It didn't matter. My heart was full that day. Sometimes grad school felt like a bunch of talking, like there had been this conversation going on for a hundred years, and we were just joining it. Once, we talked for an hour about objectivity with no real conclusion. Another time, you could cut through the tension in the room with a butter knife as we discussed white privilege. But most of the time, I felt like I had nothing smart to say. And the truth was, it seemed like everyone was just trying to say something smart trying to prove to everyone else that they belonged in that room and in that conversation. Outside of class, we read hundreds of articles and chapters. They were interesting, but dry and research technical, with big words like scaffold and corroborate and agency, not the spy kind. They had tables and charts and numbers and things called ANOVA that I pretended to understand. I usually just skipped to the discussion and conclusion. I had never been a quick reader or a quick thinker, and I never really got what professors meant when they gave directions like, write a response to chapter 17. Okay, but what the heck did that mean? And then when I got responses back like, interesting, and not quite what the author meant from the same professors, and realized I had missed the point of the article completely, I only felt more like a fraud. I slowly began to understand that research articles weren't written for the general public but for other researchers so they could continue this hundred-year-old conversation with each other. I didn't like that, and that planted a seed in my head, much like what happened in the movie Inception when Leonardo DiCaprio planted a seed in his wife's head. 
By the end of my second year in Santa Barbara, I had learned how to use big words and write in standard academic language. I was 25 years old and living in a cold, rundown room behind a kitchen in downtown Santa Barbara. I taught English at a for-profit school around the corner and barely made enough money to pay rent every month. I was also driving down to LA every other month to do research. I was on track to be a lifelong researcher. I had spent thousands of dollars to build the skills and I finally had the right mindset. My research topic was also unique enough. My advisor said all I needed was a little bit more data to turn it into a dissertation, that it could be fruitful for me in the future. But the question was, did I really want it? That seed I had planted about researchers having hundred-year-old conversations with each other began to grow. Did I want to spend the rest of my life looking at data and talking about a bunch of dead guys? No, not really. Don't get me wrong, I admire researchers, and I believe we need them to help us better understand the world around us, to live long and healthy lives, to prevent the destruction of the earth, to invent new and extraordinary things, and to understand each other. It's just that my heart wasn't in it anymore, and maybe it never was. In 2011, I left my PhD program with a master's degree in education. I can't say whether or not grad school is the right decision for anyone. I can only say what I wish someone had said to me. Slow down. Just because it's the next thing to do doesn't mean you have to do it. You aren't missing out on anything. You've gone to school for 18 years. It's okay to not go to school. Give yourself permission to try something new, to do something you're not used to doing. Go on that trip to Thailand with your parents. Join the Peace Corps. Participate in Teach for America. Get a job. Make use of your undergraduate degree. You worked so hard for it and you haven't even seen what you could do with it. Be brave enough, be patient enough to give yourself a chance to take your education for a test drive. Graduate education is important, but some will argue that experience is equally important. And remember, more education and a fancy title doesn't guarantee happiness or peace of mind or a job you love. However, if you are 100% sure that grad school is for you, then be there 100%. And when you're no longer there 100%, be brave enough to leave. I wrote this blog post three years ago to share some of my grad school experience with my readers. It barely touches upon how not ready I was to pursue a graduate degree. When I graduated college, um, undergraduate in 2008, I had no idea what I was gonna do next. I wasn't just a first-generation college student, but I was also a first-generation professional. My parents were traditionally farmers, so the idea of having a desk job and having a career was completely new to me, and it was, to be honest, completely overwhelming. So I was really in a dark forest that I was navigating all on my own. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to go to grad school, because school was something I was really good at. And I had been doing it for nearly two decades, had never failed at it. As you heard, though, I struggled with many aspects of grad school as a 20-something-year-old. Identity, imposter syndrome, loneliness, homesickness, just to name a few things. I also struggled with finding value in staying in the PhD program, and eventually I came to the conclusion that I needed to leave, and it was the right decision at that time, for many reasons. 
In September 2019, I decided that I wanted to go back to grad school to pursue my PhD. I am now a 30-something-year-old. It's been nearly a decade since I was last in grad school. And you know what's different this time? I know exactly what I want to study and why I want to study it. I also know more about what grad school entails and what I'm signing myself up for. I'm going back to grad school not because I'm scared of what's next, but because I'm excited to jump into the future. And I hope that you'll join me. I'll be sharing bits and pieces from this journey. So whether you're hoping to go to grad school yourself, or whether you just don't want to be alone on your drive to work, I look forward to sharing it all with you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review would go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners. So I would appreciate it so much if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. Lastly, you can access transcripts and show notes and submit listener questions at www.onbecomingeducated.com.